Northern Health on the verge of collapse. It has been really challenging the last few weeks. Where the sickest COVID patients are being sent to save their lives. Businesses busted for ignoring public health orders. I don't accept this ticket at all. A restaurant exploiting a loophole, now facing a big fine. And mayhem in Gastown. One nightclub in particular was hit three times, three days in a row. Vandalism and violence. And one prolific offender facing charges. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Starting today, all BC students, including those in kindergarten through grade 3, are required to mask up inside their schools. But even with that new rule now in effect, pressure is mounting on the province to go a step further and also make vaccines mandatory in a school setting for everyone who is eligible to get the shot. Richard Zussman reports. Class on, mask on. For the first time this pandemic, everyone in the education system, from K to 12 plus adults, are required to wear a mask while in the school. It's kind of easy, but I don't really like it very much. This comes as COVID cases continue to climb among children, still making up more than 30% of new cases. And to the point where contact tracers are spending much of their time with kids and their contacts. It has been really challenging the last few weeks with the sheer volume of cases in Northern Health. After weeks of not providing the information, health authorities are once again providing possible COVID exposures by school. But it's not enough for many parents. I would like to see a little bit more localization in terms of what the numbers actually mean. We heard from parents and from school communities uh, as we started this, this school year who uh, wanted to know, uh, understand more about what was happening. For example, Coastal Health Exposure List mentions Capilano Elementary School. Possible spread of the virus from September 14th to 24th, but no more information. A gap now being filled by New Exposure Watch, a website kept updated by a New West parent, getting information from the BC COVID tracker, also parent-run, and a Capilano at least 15 COVID cases listed from the school and no idea if there are more. You want to talk about creating anxiety, uh, withholding information from the people who need it to protect their kids is a great way to create anxiety. Information just part of the challenge. In New Westminster, school trustees have voted to have lawyers look at whether they can mandate vaccines for staff in the school system. It's something that could be considered province-wide. I'm anticipating that, that, the, that, that as public health uh, monitors the development of COVID in schools, uh, they will be looking at every tool available. The BC Teachers Federation says they would support mandatory vaccine for teachers, but for now the province does not believe it's a needed step. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And there are questions tonight about the vaccine card and whether or not BC is doing enough to enforce the rules. Kamal Karamali joins us live with more on that part of the story. Kamal, some businesses have received tickets, but not very many. Yeah, in fact, Chris, I can count on one hand how many tickets have been issued to individuals and or businesses for not following the vaccine card rules. And it's this many, three, a grand total of three tickets. And that's surprising to a lot of people seeing that we've heard and seen a lot of restaurants pushing back against the vaccine card uh, system itself, including Corduroy Restaurant behind me here. I don't accept this ticket at all. Um, 
far as I'm concerned, I'm complying with the page order. This was a video posted to the Corduroy Restaurant Instagram page last week. Vancouver Police said a fine was issued by the Liquor and Cannabis Regulation Branch, but Vancouver Police did not issue a ticket. The restaurant itself is arguing that it is counter service only, so the penalty should not apply to them. Businesses could be fined as much as $2,300, and individuals can be ticketed up to $575. Now, a local polling company called Insights West also released a study over the weekend that showed one in every three people roughly surveyed said they had visited an establishment where no one asked them to show their proof of vaccination. So why were only three tickets issued out so far? Well, there appear to be so many more rule breakers. The province said now at least it's focusing for now on, uh, on education over enforcement. Enforcement officials are, are working on the complaints as they come in. Uh, obviously, you want to make sure that they're thoroughly investigated and that, uh, that, uh, that they are examined uh, carefully. And then from that, uh, they make the decision on what the most appropriate uh, level of enforcement is. And what I can tell you is, is that it is happening. Uh, tickets have been issued uh, and that there will be more coming. Kamal, the food and beverage industry is watching this very closely. Have they said anything publicly about it? Yeah, absolutely. I just got off the phone with the head of the uh, Alliance of Beverage Licensees, and he said he is annoyed because he himself, Chris, has flagged a lot more than three businesses uh, that have been breaking or skirting the vaccine card system and the checking system itself at the front uh, door. So he said this sets a terrible example when only three tickets have been issued, but there are a lot more rule breakers. Back over to you. We'll see if the enforcement uh, improves. Thanks very much, Kamal. All right, let's get a look now at the last three days of COVID numbers in B.C. We have 1,986 new cases. Our active case number is now just shy of 6,000. 326 people are in hospital, 142 of them in the ICU. Ten more people have died from complications of the virus, including one person in their 30s. And now 81.6% of eligible British Columbians are now fully vaccinated. Keith Baldry is here with more on the numbers and the situation in B.C. Uh, Keith, let's talk about the Northern Health region. There's particular concern around the situation there. Yeah, they really stand out and they have been standing out for a number of weeks now as the numbers there are really the highest or the worst numbers on a per capita basis. Only 300,000 people live in the Northern Health Authority, but the number of deaths, hospitalizations and case numbers on every day continues to climb. Take a look at this largely over the weekend, but right now we're up to 32. The number of people in ICUs have had to have been flown or medevac down to South Health Authorities. That includes 26 unvaccinated COVID-19 patients. 33 hospitalizations occurred over the weekend. Two people People died over the weekend and 340 cases of COVID-19 were detected in North over the weekend. Again, this is not new. This has been going on for weeks. Health Minister Adrian Dix voicing his concerns today. It has been really challenging the last few weeks with the sheer volume of cases in Northern Health where we've been adding and supporting Northern Health with uh, contact tracing staff from Provincial Health Services Authority and the BCCDC. Now, we're going to be hearing from Minister Dix and Dr. Bonnie Henry tomorrow at a 1.30 briefing. Expect to hear more information on third doses for immune-compromised patients. And also an update on the, the situation in terms of requiring va mandatory vaccinations amongst BC healthcare workers. They've got until October 12th to do it. We expect to get some statistics to see just exactly how many people have got the shot. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. 
More than five and a half million of the nearly eight million vaccine doses administered in B.C. are the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. But a small study in the U.S. suggests the effectiveness of that vaccine wears off after about six months. As Aaron MacArthur reports, if those findings are verified in a much larger study group, it could prompt a major rethink about booster shots. How long does the protection last? It's a question scientists have been asking since COVID vaccines were first approved for use. A new paper, which has yet to be verified, suggests the protection from the Pfizer vaccine may run out sooner than many would like. After six months, 46 people tested showed greatly reduced antibodies. It's limited data, but doctors are paying attention. I do not think we need to rush into this and give booster shots to everyone. And these new data do not change my mind in this regard. They just tell me that the issue remains very important to study. In BC, a much larger data set indicates strong protection from two doses of vaccine out to four months. Booster shots are being given to vulnerable people in long-term care settings, but at this point there is no indication BC has plans to join Israel or the EU, which are recommending third doses for everyone. We're not seeing a need for a booster dose for most of us right now, and we're going to continue to monitor that. BC's data matched by a study published in the New England Journal of Medicine and data from Quebec, which show no indication of waning durability with two-shot vaccines. But in our data at this time, we see pretty much no decline in protection. Experts warn waning antibodies doesn't necessarily mean waning immunity. The body's defense mechanisms will remain prime to deal with COVID-19. Boosters likely will be needed down the road. Many experts predicting COVID-19 will become endemic. People requiring regular shots to keep up their protection. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, the VPD are speaking out about a chaotic few days in Gastown with a string of incidents, including a break-and-enter spree that targeted a single business. As Grace Key reports, what happened this weekend is part of an alarming trend in the neighborhood. Three days in a row over the weekend, someone smashed some windows at the same Gastown nightclub taking off with liquor bottles. Police arrested a person at the last incident after a witness spotted a man breaking a window at 7 Sunday morning and called 911. 36-year-old Kevin Willard is charged with one counter break and enter while police investigate. He's described as a prolific property crime offender. And then at 4.30 Friday morning, someone stole $10,000 in clothing and jewelry from a Gastown town store. Officers recovered some of the stolen merchandise from a man who was attempting to sell it in the downtown east side. No charges yet. Sunday night, a man uttered racial slurs at an Asian employee after being asked to wear a mask. The man snatched the worker's phone and threw it to the ground when she tried calling 911. Police are looking for the suspect. And a 42-year-old man is expected to survive after being stabbed multiple times at a social housing complex. A 33-year-old man was arrested. Police believe many crimes go unreported here in Gastown. I've seen the damage that one, one person can do during one crime spree. Uh, that's why it's important for people to report it to us. It may be one hat or one hoodie from your business, but it's also going to be one hat and one hoodie from the next business and the next business over and the next business over. All of that product or the vast majority of that product is being taken so it can be resold, usually in this neighborhood, uh, for profit. 
So it's important that people report to us so that we can investigate. Since April, Vancouver police have responded to 82 violent crimes and 259 property crimes in Gastown. And again, they feel it's just a small portion of the crimes that are actually occurring here. In Vancouver, Grace Key, Global News. Well, Vancouver police are investigating another case of vandalism in the city after a lawn bowling venue on the west side was damaged over the weekend. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, the nearly 100-year-old building was already in need of major repairs before it was targeted by criminals. Dennis Patterson is spending his Monday painting over graffiti. This after vandals spray-painted the nearly 100-year-old Dunbar Lawn Bowling Club. It's just disgusting, and it hurts, hurts right down. I don't know how else to put it. A number of windows are broken as well. This is just disappointing, you know. We, we try to keep this place, you know, as a community resource. Vancouver police are investigating and confirm they're seeing an increase in graffiti. It's a big problem. Uh, we're seeing it in every neighborhood all over the city. Uh, it's not just in back lanes and on dumpsters anymore. Police are encouraging people to report graffiti, noting their investigations recently led to charges. We've just uh, announced the arrest and charges against two women who um, painted yellow paint on St. Jude's Parish on Canada Day on the west side. Uh, we've got the Komagata Maru Memorial. Uh, that was vandalized uh, last month. We're making significant progress in that investigation. At the Dunbar Lawn Bowling Club, it's unclear how much repairs will cost, but members are determined to restore the historic building, one that is enjoyed to this day and tied to countless memories. Oh, it's beautiful. My husband and I were married here, and it was wonderful. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A number of gatherings taking place in Vancouver today to honor missing and murdered Indigenous women. Dozens of people came together for a candlelight vigil outside Vancouver City Hall this afternoon, marking the National Day of Action on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls and Two-Spirit People. It has been two years since the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls submitted its final report. But those speaking at City Hall today say they still want answers from Ottawa. So when we think about our life givers, the women, whose children were either stolen or murdered, we can't help but wonder what society we live in and how many generations this has been going on. Similar events took place across the country today. And we will Eye hits, mishandling of murder evidence lets a suspected killer walk free. A couple shot in a case of road rage. A report on the policies that allowed it to happen is complete, but we may never see it. Why it's still a secret, next on the News Hour. Democracy interrupted. What activists are demanding from BC politicians as the fall session begins. And Facebook is back. The worldwide outage that had millions feeling disconnected later.
But first, it's a bombshell first uncovered by Global News back in April. A murder case dismissed after a judge ruled IHIT investigators mishandled evidence. Now Global News has learned a government report has been completed looking at just how many other cases might be impacted by the same behavior. But as Rumina Dea reports, those findings are being kept secret. It's been six months since Samandeep Gill was set free. The shocking case and the potential impact of the Gill decision on hundreds of other homicide files at the epicenter of an independent review ordered by the Attorney General in April. The court granted an injunction on... Craig Jones's report now complete, but Minister David Eby is not sharing it with the public. Generally, those decisions are privileged, and the reason for that is to make sure that the Crown can prepare the best case possible going forward and decide on legal strategy, uh, so it will remain privileged. Gill was acquitted of second-degree murder and attempted murder in connection to a deadly road rage shooting involving an innocent newlywed couple in Surrey a decade ago. 30-year-old Manbir Kajla was killed. His new bride survived. Alleged audio of the shooting captured on a cell phone deemed inadmissible in March because IHIT held the evidence unlawfully for years. Not just in the Gill matter, there were hundreds of other murder cases. The IHIT policy of non-compliance amounts to systemic flagrant disregard for charter-protected rights, said Justice Masuhara. I find that IHIT was at best willfully blind towards the charter implications of the policy. So how many homicide cases have been impacted? One? A hundred? None? What changes has the government made to ensure this doesn't happen again? Who's accountable? The Attorney General not answering these questions. I believe that accountability requires transparency. Joven Narwhal, a criminal lawyer and educator who is not connected to the Gill matter, says public trust is at stake. The public has to be satisfied that there's been a sufficient review of what happened, how it's impacted the institution broadly, perhaps other cases, and also what the commitment is to ensure that this never happens ever again. And that all requires transparency. The Attorney General confirms the Gill case is being appealed in light of the independent review done by Jones. A date for the hearing has not been set. Romina Dea, Global News. Up next, a holiday horror story. Two months of just constant back and forth. The vacation rental that vanished into thin air along with their payment. What happened when Consumer Matters got involved? Also, blobs of black goo spoiling some of California's best beaches. Still waiting for some emergency crews to arrive on scene here in Burnaby, eastbound on Highway 1 at Sprott. It's all off to the left shoulder, but still causing some delays. Need winter tires? No time for appointments? Drop by Mr. Lube and enjoy stay-in-your-car tire service on your schedule. No appointment needed. Mr. Lube, ready when you are. Trish Jewison in Global 1, high above Highway 1 in Burnaby. Attention consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. Andrewa investigates consumer matters on Global News. A BC couple is sharing their frustration tonight after trying to get a refund from Airbnb when the rental property they had booked unexpectedly sold. 
They requested the vacation rental company return their money. It seemed like a straightforward request, but as Consumer Matters reporter Andrew found out, it was anything but. But you stepped in, and how did you help? <laughs> I sure did. Thanks, Sophie. This issue went on for weeks with the couple trying to get their money back from Airbnb. The problem was Airbnb stated the funds had to go back to the original form of payment, but the bank card number and account that was used to make the original booking, well, it didn't exist anymore. It was beyond frustrating because I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. Shoshana and Tyler Blair say they were at their wits end, desperate to get a refund from Airbnb. Two months of just constant back and forth. Their struggles began this past June when Shoshana and Tyler received news the lodge they had booked in Headley, B.C. to celebrate their upcoming wedding was being sold. Friends and family we haven't seen in almost two years, all getting together and being under one roof and... It was something special. The lodge was booked through Airbnb. The couple says between June and July, they went back and forth with the vacation rental company, fighting for a full refund of $3,000. We weren't getting anything from them anymore, so we did want that whole amount back. Shoshana says Airbnb eventually agreed to refund the full amount. The company stated the funds had to go back to her original form of payment. But the Maple Ridge resident says she informed Airbnb the bank card and account associated with the original transaction no longer existed. Shoshana had since left her financial institution to set up a joint account at Tyler's Bank. We now have a joint account, so that account doesn't exist. It hasn't existed for probably a year now. For weeks, Shoshana says she went in circles with Airbnb trying to get her money back. Shoshana's old bank even drafting a letter on her behalf confirming she doesn't have any active accounts and the account her bank card was linked to is now closed. Before they even sent the money, I said to them that it needed to go to a different account. If they could phone me to give them the new card information or if I could add it to my account. But Airbnb says it had sent the money, stating our payment processing partner has confirmed that the refund was successfully processed and accepted by the card issuer under the tracking number we have provided previously. Still, Shoshana says her bank says it never received the funds. Frustrating not hearing someone take ownership of, of trying to solve a problem. They just try to keep pushing it to someone else. Feeling helpless, Shoshana reached out to Consumer Matters. Airbnb telling us, we have confirmed with our payment partners that Airbnb did in fact process a refund on July 7th and that this refund was received by the Blair's Bank and not returned to Airbnb. We're working now to administer an additional goodwill refund directly to their new account. The couple was refunded over $3,000. Thank you. <laughs> Honestly, for, for this and hopefully anyone else that's going through this will also reach out because really it, it helped. That is the only, the only way we have our money right now. And we are happy to report Shoshana and Tyler were able to use that $3,000 and put it towards their wedding day, which took place just a few weeks ago. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Good job. Thanks, Anne. The SPCA is asking animal lovers to help with the cost of treatment for a seriously injured puppy. Daryl, a Shih Tzu English Springer Spaniel Cross, suffered a broken jaw when he was attacked by a much larger dog. The seven-month-old pup was surrendered by his owner to the animal shelter in Campbell River so he could undergo treatment. He's already had jaw surgery and is recovering. 
His foster family says despite the trauma, Daryl still loves other dogs. He gets along with cats and children too. His recovery is expected to take three or four more weeks and then he should be available for adoption. Up ahead, the big cleanup in Surf City. It really is heartbreaking. How a major oil spill has shut down some of Southern California's best beaches. And the giant new tunnel under Metro Vancouver and what will soon be moving through it. Traffic is steady over here in both directions at the Massey Tunnel with just a little bit of congestion on the Steveston on and off ramps. Connect Hearing is Canada's number one physician-referred hearing health care provider. Your hearing is important. Take care of it. Visit connecthearing.ca to book your hearing evaluation today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Massey Tunnel. A logging helicopter has crashed on the Sunshine Coast. Around 2 this afternoon, the Joint Rescue Coordination Centre responded to the call of a crash near Killam Bay. A cormorant helicopter was dispatched, as was a Coast Guard vessel. There's no word at this point how many people were on board the helicopter or if there were any injuries or fatalities. The cormorant has now returned to Comox and the file is being handled by the RCMP and Transport Canada. RCMP say they will be releasing more information on this later. The B.C. legislature has returned for its fall session and so have the protesters. A number of small groups of demonstrators blocked all of the entrances to the legislature except for the main doors in what was billed as a 10-hour sit-in. Kylie Stanton reports. The drumming at the front steps echoes through the grounds of the B.C. legislature. Every entrance but one blocked by protesters. This is the change. In an effort to pressure politicians to put an end to old growth logging. It is unbelievably disappointing that the provincial government has failed to take action on its promises. The sit-in got underway as MLAs reconvened in Victoria for the first day of the fall session. Demonstrators using banners, signs, even props to get their message across. Cut it out, get on side with the people, and stop logging old growth. Simple as that. While local First Nations have repeatedly asked protesters to stand down and leave their territory, it's clear their fight is far from finished. The injunction is over. Even after a B.C. Supreme Court judge denied an application to extend the injunction against the blockades last week, a decision now being appealed by Teal Jones Group, the logging company that has the license to harvest in the area, demonstrators continue to push their agenda. What people are talking about is all old growth logging in B.C. This isn't just about Ferry Creek. In fact, that applies to the protests here as well. A separate group taking a stand against fracking, adding their voices to the chorus, saying the climate crisis can no longer be ignored. I think we're going to see more and more stronger calls from, from everyone across this province for the government to get serious. What British Columbians want to see is action. What they want to see is actually governments uh, taking the threat of the climate emergency seriously and taking meaningful action to address those concerns. Back in June, the provincial government deferred logging in 2,000 hectares around the Ferry Creek watershed and the central Walbran area for two years. More deferrals were expected to follow, but that has yet to happen. It's complicated. There's a lot of information, so we are looking through it. There will be more deferrals, but we need to make sure that we're doing this right. But those out here want it done right now, saying patience and time is running out. The longer we stall on it, the more trouble we're going to be in. Kylie Stanton, Global News. 
In California, one of the largest oil spills in recent history has closed beaches and is wiping out wildlife. Environmentalists there are questioning whether authorities acted quickly enough to contain the major spill while they race against time to save hundreds of thousands of sea creatures. Global's Jennifer Johnson has the latest. Popular beaches across Southern California are closed as toxic globs of oil wash ashore. The massive oil spill continues to spread after over 570,000 liters of crude leaked into the ocean from an offshore pipeline. We are in the midst of a potential ecological disaster here in Huntington Beach. Our wetlands are being degraded and portions of our coastline are now covered in oil. Local officials, environmentalists and residents are furious, saying they smelled oil Friday night, but the company that owns the pipeline, Amplify Energy, didn't shut it down until Saturday night. And booms to contain the slick weren't deployed till Sunday. It really is heartbreaking. Why do we have to have these things out in the ocean so close to the shore? Dead birds and fish are already washing ashore. Environmentalists say the slick will have a catastrophic effect for years. It's, this is one of the most important stretches of coastline along Orange County and possibly in all of Southern California. So how many birds or other wildlife are going to be impacted? What impact it's going to have on vegetation in the marshes along the coast is still yet to be seen. The pipeline company is investigating what caused the leak as divers search for the exact location of the breach. Our employees live and work in this area as well and you know, we are you know, deeply concerned by what we're seeing environmentally and, and with the, the fish and wildlife. Officials say these beaches could be closed for months, affecting hundreds of local businesses and workers. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. October marks Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and the Surrey Hospital Foundation is investing $1.5 million to support two potentially life-saving surgeries. The money is going to a new advanced microsurgical lymphatic reconstruction program at the Jim Pattison Outpatient Care and Surgery Center. The investment allows microsurgeons to conduct Canada's first-ever vascularized lymph node transfer, along with a lymphatic-to-vein bypass. Both surgeries are crucial for people with or who have a high risk of developing lymphedema, a chronic condition that impacts many cancer patients. At present, there really isn't a great treatment option for lymphedema. In fact, we're really in the management phase of lymphedema, and if that doesn't go well, then the lymphedema will continue to cause permanent changes in the involved limb. The investment allows the Department of Plastic Surgery to purchase BC's first ultra-high magnification microscope, which is needed to perform these microsurgeries. Coming up, stat holidays when you want to take them. At the core of, of this initiative was, um, was listening to our staff. How a local nonprofit came up with a better way to keep employees happy. And coming up in sports, from Surrey to South Florida, a local kid well on his way to living his NHL dream and how you can see him before he gets there. Here is the Wines of British Columbia question of the day. What is the growth period called when grapes transform from small green hard berries into recognizable grapes? A. Verizon B. Maturation C. Fermentation. Stay tuned after the break for the answer. The answer to the Wines of British Columbia question of the day is A.
The Horizon is where the grapes take on mature hues, from greenish yellow or white to red, purple, or almost black for reds. Now you know. <laughs> I didn't before, I'll tell you that. Uh, the digging is now done on a major piece of Metro Vancouver infrastructure work. The 1.1 kilometer long Second Narrows water supply tunnel will supply drinking water from the North Shore reservoirs to homes and businesses around the region. The tunnel is more than six meters in diameter and was dug by a massive boring machine cutting through the earth 30 meters below the bottom of Burrard Inlet. The project started in 2019 and it's expected the water will start to flow through the soon to be installed pipes by 2025. The cost of the project, about $445 million. It's a lot of water. It's incredible. Well, we need it. We do. All right. Uh, well, speaking of water and rain, which we water. actually didn't really see any uh, of today that I'm aware of, but Christy Gordon joining us now. Look at the forecast. It was pretty nice today, Christy. Yes, it was a great start to the week, but we're going to get wet. If you want water, Sophie, tomorrow's your day. First, though, we need to talk about snow, if you can believe it. Yes, the first big snowfall across BC of the season. BC Peace River and the Pine Pass region expecting 10 to 15 centimeters of snowfall. This will begin to transition to snow tomorrow morning and continue through much of Tuesday and through Wednesday. So it's going to be a sloppy, messy kind of snow as you warm up to about two degrees. A good time to remind you, anytime you're driving mountain highways. That means Sea to Sky, Coquihalla, and even highways across Vancouver Island, in particular over towards Tofino. We're talking about the requirement for winter tires. Either of these symbols need to be represented on your tire. And of course, when you drop below seven degrees, which hasn't really happened in the lower mainland, but it certainly has in other parts of the province, it is recommended that you have tires like these as well. Here's a look at tomorrow. Yes, rainfall for the south coast. You can see a lot of purple there. Keep in mind that model is predicting snowfall in those southern regions but we really only could see it just in the mountaintops. It's just the BC Peace River area that has the best chance of seeing that snowfall. Now for our region not only is it going to be wet but windy as well. A strong southerly wind. We can expect those strong winds across much of Metro Vancouver, White Rock area and extending over towards the Sunshine Coast region as well. So there's your Tuesday everyone. It's sort of a cross section from the BC Peace River area right down in through the south coast. So touching into Kamloops with showers and certainly rainfall for the Whistler region, a risk of thunderstorms on the west coast of Vancouver Island, and chilly tomorrow with a high of only 11 degrees. So bundle the kids up, keep them dry. We are expecting a few showers on Wednesday, but overall it's not until Thursday that we're expecting sunshine once again. Here's tonight's central windows weather window, which is of today's sunshine. By the way, the showers just started here in uh, North Van. This is the Alder Acres family farm where they still have some beautiful flowers out and you can also go there to check out the pumpkin package, which is already open. Thank you to Bertrand <laughs> for that. It's Instagram worthy, that photo. Sure is. <laughs> Thank you, Christy. All right, let's check in uh, with Squire in just a moment. But first, millions of social media users probably felt a little out of sorts today, kind of like me, obviously, <laughs> as several of the major platforms suffered a major outage. We were all actually much more productive. Social <laughs> media giant Facebook was down for much of the day. Uh, the company also owns Instagram and WhatsApp, and those were also unavailable. Just before 3 this afternoon, they all started to come back online slowly. As yet, there's been no official 
official reason given for the problem, but online experts speculate it may involve an error with the domain name system for Facebook sites. Previous similar issues led to widespread outages of several major sites earlier this year. At least we had Twitter. <laughs> Did it affect MySpace? And also talking <laughs> to each other. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, no, it didn't. Is that too old school? Yeah, it might be. Okay. What's up? Uh, yesterday, Russell Wilson won the 100th game of his NFL career. Man, that's why I play the game, is to win. And he did it faster than any quarterback in NFL history. And something his father said years ago still drives him to this day. Look forward to hearing that. Also tonight, calendar creativity, a new concept, keeping workers rested and happy. Well, as we edge towards a post-pandemic workplace, flexibility is becoming more and more important. Seems so. The Boys and Girls Club of South Coast BC has already taken the next step by allowing its employees to choose when they want to take some of their statutory holidays. Krista Dow reports. They are days we know by memory. Statutory holidays, days of importance specifically chosen by the federal government. But as more organizations work toward becoming more inclusive and diverse, some of those days may be behind us. We want to be inclusive and we recognize that that means that people have different interests, different needs. This Boys and Girls Club in Vancouver leading the way. The organization will be allowing its approximately 120 full-time staff to have flexible statutory holidays, meaning staff can swap any of five stat holidays to better reflect their own beliefs, culture and religion. They include Good Friday, Victoria Day, Canada Day, Thanksgiving Day and Boxing Day. Those days all have very strong white European Christian um, roots to them. Tuckwell says the idea came from staff members themselves, staff like Ala Fununi, who will be taking part. The fact that staff can recognize religious, cultural or personal days that are important to them exemplifies a commitment to decolonization. It's a first for this employment standards lawyer who says while the flexibility won't work for every organization, it can be a start for many. They're kind of a trailblazer in this regard. It's looking at a list of statutory holidays that have been determined by the governments and saying, well, this might not work for all of our people. Seven other stat holidays like Christmas Day would not be available for substitution. Despite its religious background, Tuckwell says it's not feasible as everything is closed. The National Day for Truth and Reconciliation cannot be swapped out either. The day reserved for listening and reflection. Krista Dow, Global News. Progressive. Yeah. All right, last word before we go, Christy. Mm-hmm. Sure, so we're starting to see a few isolated showers. Bulk of the rainfall will happen overnight and through the day tomorrow. Also windy, so uh, bundle up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Keep dry. All right, thanks, Christy, and thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all. All right, Squire, what do you have for us? 
Well, we'll start with the Canucks. Even though they didn't practice today, let's talk Canucks. Because tomorrow at practice, Travis Green and his staff will begin to answer a very important question for this season. Who will pair on defense with Quinn Hughes? It won't be Oliver ekman Larson. They are way too similar. Both would leave their own end of the ice together and not come back for a while. The Canucks need somebody to cover the back end when Hughes goes on a rush. Now, Tyler Myers is a possibility. Maybe Tucker Poolman could be a good pairing because he's more stay-at-home. Last Friday, Lucky Whitehead was anything but lucky. This collision, which was a clean, hard hit, unfortunately broke Whitehead's hand. He actually came back and played some more against Winnipeg in this game, but he was down to one good hand at the time. Now the Lions say Whitehead will need to have surgery on Wednesday. He'll be out two to four weeks. That hurts the team because he's been one of BC's best players so far this season. Well, Tom Brady set a new NFL record last night for most passing yards in a career, but Russell Wilson also set a new record yesterday. He is now the fastest quarterback to win 100 games. It took him 10 years and four games to reach the century mark, which is exactly, exactly one year faster than it took Tom Brady and six games quicker than former record holder Peyton Manning. This is Russell Wilson's first ever win, week two in 2012 against Dallas. He won 11 games that year, and a year later he of course won the Super Bowl. But people forget that Russell Wilson was a third round draft choice who wasn't supposed to be the starter as a rookie. It was supposed to be the job of free agent signing Matt Flynn. But Russell Wilson beat him out in the preseason, and Pete Carroll wasn't afraid to use him right away. Every day I want to treat it as a new day, like I don't even know anything. And um, so, you know, I, I think back to all the great players I've been fortunate to play with, and th- these guys on this team, and uh, obviously Coach Carroll and John Schneider for believing in me, Paul Allen. Um, thanks for taking a chance on me. The best thing about Russell Wilson's 100th win against the 49ers on Sunday was it included classic Wilson escape artist moves that he's done so many times before. The scramble for the touchdown was great. The other spin scramble, I mean, that's just as good as you can get for Russ. No! Wilson under immediate pressure, somehow gets away, throws end zone, touchdown, Freddie Swain! These types of plays are extensions of Wilson's personality, his never-ending optimism, his belief that if you work hard enough, good things can happen. It was something he learned at a young age, way before he got to the NFL. You know, I think back to my dad when he used to wake me up in the morning. And uh, before, I didn't really want to wake up that early. You know, he used to try to wake me up at 5.15, 5.30 in the morning, and, and he'd knock on my door and say, son, you want to be great? Every day, son, you want to be great? Knock on my door. And I started answering the call. You know, I tried to be up earlier than him. I'm excited about the next 100, you know. Um, There's more championships. There's more things we want to do. There's more of this season that we have to do. Let's go back to the Canucks for a second. Over the years, they have missed on some good local players whom they could have drafted in later rounds but didn't. One example is the guy beside me. Former Vancouver Giant Brendan Gallagher went in the fifth round to Montreal. The Canucks took defenseman Adam Polasek, two picks before Gallagher. Polasek never played a second in the NHL. A current giant they passed on is team captain and Surrey-born forward Justin Sordoff. Florida took him in the third round in 2020. The Canucks took Finnish defenseman Yanni Yermo, five picks before him. Yermo, at the moment, doesn't quite have the same buzz that Sordoff does. 
Threw him up the right wing, cutting to the middle. What a play. Sort of, oh, scores! This is the kind of production the Vancouver Giants and Florida Panthers are expecting from Justin Sort of this season. The 19-year-old back for what will likely be his final season of junior hockey after impressing the Panthers at his first NHL training camp, who didn't hesitate when it came to signing the third-round NHL draft pick. You know, I, I think the fact that they extended the contract to him, I, I think the fact that, uh, you know, he, he went to a pro camp after missing missing a year because of COVID, uh, I think they saw that they have a player that they were able to get in the third round who's probably got more of a first-round flair to him, and uh, and he proved that. So I, I think he's got a future there, and I, I think they want him to come back here and, and, and be a good two-way player for us and a good leader. Sort of time at the Panthers training camp was an eye-opener and then some. The kind of experience that leaves a lasting impression on a teenager intent on one day making it to the show. Oh, it was, uh, it was a crazy experience, surreal. Um, I was sitting beside uh, uh, Patrick Hornfist and Huberto in the dressing room, and then to my right was uh, Haponiemi. So it was a lot of guys to learn from and a lot of uh, advice to bring back here for sure. You no, know, I watched the uh, Blackhawks win the Stanley Cup in 2010 and 2013, and uh, it was uh, it was amazing um, just being able to talk to him and, uh, you know, maybe down the line being a part of something like that. Entering his fourth Western Hockey League season, Sordiff will wear the C for the Giants. He'll also likely play a strong role for Canada at the World Juniors come December. It's a big year for the Surrey teenager who's been muscling up and chasing his NHL dream since he was a youngster. It's nice to know that you're, you're always getting better and you haven't hit your ceiling. Um, and I feel like I still have uh, a lot of room to grow and a lot of potential that I haven't quite reached yet. Justin's an extremely strong kid that really competes, and the puck just follows him. It, it, it's 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 not it's just natural instincts. I'm really excited for people to to see where Justin's at now because it's been two years since they've seen him really live, and and I can't wait for people to see that. And for the first time since 1963, an African-American driver has won a top-level NASCAR race. Bubba Wallace won the rain-shortened Yellowwood 500 today in Talladega. He was actually sitting in the pits, but he was the leader when the race was called, and thus he was declared the winner. And tomorrow and Wednesday, the baseball playoffs begin. Unfortunately, the Jays needed to win 92 games. 91 just wasn't quite enough. Tough to, tough to know it's over for them. Thanks very much, Squire. Christmas in July or Easter in November. How one nonprofit is rewriting the calendar to give stat holidays when workers want them. Well, as we edge towards a post-pandemic workplace, flexibility is becoming more and more important. Seems so. The Boys and Girls Club of South Coast BC has already taken the next step by allowing its employees to choose when they want to take some of their statutory holidays. Krista Dow reports. They are days we know by memory. <laughs> Statutory holidays, days of importance specifically chosen by the federal government. But as more organizations work toward becoming more inclusive and diverse, some of those days may be behind us. We want to be inclusive and we recognize that that means that people have different interests, different needs. This Boys and Girls Club in Vancouver leading the way. The organization will be allowing its approximately 120 full-time staff to have flexible statutory holidays, meaning staff can swap any of five stat holidays to better reflect their own beliefs, culture and religion. 
They include Good Friday, Victoria Day, Canada Day, Thanksgiving Day, and Boxing Day. Those days all have very strong white European Christian um, roots to them. Tuckwell says the idea came from staff members themselves, staff like Ala Fununi, who will be taking part. The fact that staff can recognize religious, cultural, or personal days that are important to them exemplifies a commitment to decolonization. It's a first for this employment standards lawyer who says while the flexibility won't work for every organization, it can be a start for many. They're kind of a trailblazer in this regard. It's looking at a list of statutory holidays that have been determined by the governments and saying, well, this might not work for all of our people. Seven other stat holidays like Christmas Day would not be available for substitution. Despite its religious background, Tuckwell says it's not feasible as everything is closed. The National Day for Truth and Reconciliation cannot be swapped out either. The day reserved for listening and reflection. Krista Dow, Global News. Progressive. Yeah. All right, last word before we go, Christy. Mm-hmm. Sure. So we're starting to see a few isolated showers. Bulk of the rainfall will happen overnight and through the day tomorrow. Also windy. So uh, bundle up tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Keep dry. All right. Thanks, Christy. And thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.